Well, I want to welcome you back to our sermon series, True Worship. Uh, many of you know that we're going through a significant change here at the church. Ron Curzon, our music leader on Sunday mornings, is transitioning out of his role it, uh, as the music leader. And Brandon and Haley Jerkovich are coming into that role, as well as really overseeing everything that happens here on a Sunday morning. And so, you know, sometimes as Christians, we don't necessarily, I mean, there's always more things to learn, and, but often we just need to be reminded of what we already know. And for some of us, and as we've gone through this worship series, it's just been a reminder of truths that you already know. Hopefully there's some new things as well, but we just really felt like with this transition, let's circle back around to really the foundation of everything we do here. Because we want to make sure that when you come on a Sunday morning, you know what, <laughs> what, why we meet and what is worship and what we're looking to accomplish. So um, that's what we're doing in this series. So far, we've established some things. Uh, when I f- The first message in this series, we, we established that worship, according to the Bible, is what you trust, when you worship something, and what you worship, it's a question of what you're trusting supremely with your mind, what you're loving supremely with your heart, and what you're obeying and serving supremely with your actions. We also established that we're all worshipers. I'm a worshiper, and every person in this room is a worshiper. We are all loving something supremely with our hearts, trusting something supremely with our minds, And serving and obeying something supremely with our actions. All of us do that. Oftentimes we're not aware of exactly what that is. We kind of do this in an unconscious kind of way. But we all are worshipers. Last week, um, I especially emphasized why we should worship God. Why he alone is worthy of our worship. And I gave you these reasons. Well, just because of his characteristics and his attributes and just who he is as a person, that in and of itself, even if he never gave us any gifts or anything, done anything else for us, he would be worthy of our worship simply because of who he is. We talked about, but yet he has loved us extravagantly, and so that's another reason why he's worthy of our worship, that worshiping him leads to eternal life now and forever, and that's why we should worship him. And it's the only way we're truly going to be able to enjoy God's good gifts is if we don't make his good gifts into God things and allow, but instead allow those gifts to direct us to worshiping God more fully and wholeheartedly. That's actually how we end up enjoying the gift all the more. So this morning what I want to focus on is, all right, so if worship involves What we're trusting supremely with our minds. How do we worship God with our minds? That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Because, And we got to start here. And here's why we got to start with the mind. We can't worship with our heart and hands what we don't know with our minds. We cannot worship with our heart and our hands and our actions what we don't know with our minds. And so to start to answer this question, it's really we're going to answer this question with two sermons, one today, one next Sunday. But to start to answer this question of how can we worship God 
with our minds. How can we trust him supremely with our minds? We're going to be camped out in John chapter 4. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, I encourage you to do that and uh, get to that verse, get to that passage of Scripture. It's the same passage of Scripture that Chase was so kind to read to us earlier. Let me pray. We'll look at this passage again and see what it might have to say to us about worshiping God fully with our minds. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for you. Uh, You are wonderful. You are great. You are good, as Chase prayed. And you love us so, so much. We're so thankful for all of those things and all the gifts that you give to us. Lord, you alone are worthy of our worship. Lord, I pray that as we consider how we might give you the worship that you're due, especially with the activity of our minds, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our minds, that you would enlighten us, that you would reveal to us how we can worship you uh, with our brains, Lord. We want to glorify you in all things. And we know that you want, you want us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our minds, Lord. Help us to do that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me read the passage to you again. And I encourage you to, to really tune in to this passage. John 4 Verses 1 through 26. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria, which you have to know, this was a big no-no. Jews did not go through Samaria. So, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. See, I just want to start preaching right away. But, I mean, even that phrase right there, he was weary. I mean, think the God of the universe allowing himself to grow tired. It's It's just amazing. All right, that has nothing to do really with my sermon, but that is awesome. Sat thus by the well. Jesus needed water. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And it was like scandalous for a male Jew to be talking to a woman in this kind of context, right? Obviously, Jesus has such great love for this woman that he's doing it. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, (laughs) check out this. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, and he drops The bomb right here. I who speak to you am he. Here's what I want to focus on with you this morning. In order to worship God with our minds, we must worship God in truth. We can know the truth about God through his self-revelation in creation, the scriptures, and Jesus Christ. We must worship God in spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us through belief in Jesus. So let's take each one of these in turn, starting with that first one. In order to worship God with our minds, we must worship God in truth. In our passage, Jesus told the Samaritan woman that, didn't he? Hey, Jesus said to this lady, look, God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in truth. What does that mean? You know, Chase even prayed that this morning, which is a great thing to pray. What does it mean, though? What does it mean to worship God in truth? I believe what this means is that God wants people to worship him for who he truly is. And that's why Jesus told this Samaritan woman in in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. You see, the woman thought that she was really worshiping God, but she wasn't really worshiping God. She was only worshiping a caricature of God. Now, let me give you some context because it will help you to understand why this was so. So, remember in our study of Daniel how the Babylonians a few hundred years before Jesus came in to the land of Judea, came into Jerusalem and captured it and exiled a bunch of Jewish people to Babylon. Well, there were some Jews that actually were allowed to stay back and behind. And they ended up marrying uh, Canaanite people. And they formed a new group that was called the Samaritans. 
the Samaritans, what they did is they took parts of the Jewish religion and parts of the Canaanite religion, and they basically created their own religion and ended up worshiping a false god that no doubt had some traces of the one true God and had some characteristics of the one true God, right? So, the Samaritan woman was not worshiping God as he truly is. And you know what? We are all susceptible to doing the very same thing. It's extremely easy for us to make God into something that we are comfortable with, that we are okay with. It's really easy to do this. Some people that are full of compassion and mercy love to make God into a God that is only a God of love in the sense that he doesn't punish anyone for sin, that he takes a, you know, he turns a blind eye to uh, people's shortcomings and failures and just kind of overlooks them. Some self-righteous people love to fashion God into this God that is a bully who is just looking to throw the hammer down on somebody anytime they make a mistake. There are some people that would like to have you believe that God is a Democrat or he's a Republican, right? Or that, that God is a whole bunch of other things. We have a tendency to fashion God into our own image, and when we do, we are no longer worshiping the one true God. You know, many people have distorted images of God. I I just was reading this past week of a missionary kid who came to believe that God was too busy with important things to really care about his needs and concerns, which were uh, supposedly petty in comparison. And as I was reading the article, he seemed to have missionary parents who didn't have time for him because he was always or because they were always ministering to these poor people as missionaries. And so he grew up with this distorted image of who God is. Look, A.W. Tozer, in such an eloquent fashion, he says this about why we must know the truth about God. Let me read you this quote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people have ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most uh, portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. Do you hear what Tozer is saying? The more accurately we know God, the more genuine our worship will be. 
There is no authentic worship without right knowledge of God. And what our minds think about God will determine what will happen with our hearts and with our actions. It's been said before that we're all theologians. We're just either good ones or bad ones. But we all have thoughts and beliefs about God. They're either good, true thoughts or they're inaccurate, flawed thoughts. We're all theologians. We just might be a good one. We might be a bad one. And we need to be good ones so that we can live in ways that please God. We need to worship in a way that truly beholds God for who he truly is. So to worship with our minds, we must know the truth about God. And so the question becomes, how do we know the truth about God? We asked this question in Sunday school, how can we hear from God? It's basically the same question is, uh, is you know, the same question is, how do, can we know the truth about God? Well, we can know the truth about God because he has revealed himself in certain ways. All of worship is a response to the revelation of God. All of worship is a response. That's what worship is. We are responding to the revelation of, God, of who God is. And it, God, it, it's no miracle, or it's, no, it's not short of a miracle that God has decided. It is a miracle that God has decided to reveal himself to us. How has he done so? Well, this leads us to our second point. We can know the truth about God through his self-revelation and creation, the scriptures, and Jesus Christ. That's how God speaks to us. First, through nature. Romans 1 tells us that creation not only declares that God exists, but that we can actually start to know a bit about what he is like. Through looking at nature, we can know that God is powerful, that he's intelligent, that he's creative, that he's personal, that he's kind and gracious. I mean, look at all the things that he's provided us with. So God has revealed himself through nature. He's also revealed himself through the scriptures. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says that all of scripture is breathed out by God. As God breathed, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the pages of scripture, we learn what God is like. We learn what he's about. We learn what his plans are, what his will is. If we're going to love God with our minds, if we're really going to worship him for who he truly is, we have to be students of how God has revealed himself in his word. We can't worship God apart from his word. We can't. It defines, it directs, it, and it inspires all of our worship. And that's, so now we start getting to why is this important here of what we do on Sunday morning? Why is this so critical? Because what happens here or what should happen here on Sunday mornings, it, it, it helps you to understand the truth about God as revealed in nature, but especially in Scripture. That's why you got to be here on Sunday morning. One of the things I really appreciated about Ron is that he was always focused on are the lyrics that we sing, are they speaking the truth about God? And I know Brandon and Haley are very concerned about that. 
as well. And so when you come here on Sunday mornings and when you sing the songs, when you hear the scripture read, when you listen to the message that is being preached, it's helping you to think rightly about God so that you might be able to worship him fully and authentically. All right. But it can't stop there, can it? Are you a student of God's word in your personal life? Are you meditating on it? Are you studying it? Are you seeking to learn it? What's in the pages of the Bible? Do you chew on it? Do you wrestle with it? Do you highlight and underline God's word? Do you utilize tools and commentaries that can help you better understand it so that you better understand God and therefore are able to worship him more accurately? You know, I think a lot of us think that studying God's word should be an easy thing. And then when it's not easy, we give up. It's just too hard. But if you really think about it, we are worshiping and learning about the most amazing being in all of the world and what his thoughts are, and what his plans are, why do we think it's going to be easy? I don't understand that. Why do we think reading the Bible is just going to be easy, and we're not going to have to put hard work into it? Look, you don't need to become a Bible scholar in the next you know, month or the next five years or even the next ten years, but you need to be taking steps in that direction. And so I ask you this morning, what is your plan to feast on God's word. Do you have a plan? And if you have one and you've been using it, is it working? Do you need to mix it up? Do you need to change it? If you don't even know how to begin, I would love to talk with you. There's so, there are so many resources right now that we have no excuse for not knowing God's word well. So God has revealed himself through nature, through the scriptures, God's ultimate revelation to us is in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, the Samaritan woman seemed to know that the Messiah that was to come would give people access to worshiping God in truth and uh, worshiping God in truth with their minds. In verse 25, after Jesus finished telling her that God was looking for worshipers that would worship him in spirit and in truth, she essentially says to Jesus, yeah, yeah, almost like, yeah, yeah, I know that when God's king comes, he will tell us all we need to know about worshiping him, him in spirit and truth. But he hasn't come yet, and so let's not get too concerned about it now. And that's when Jesus, in verse 26, just drops this bomb to her. I speak to you, am he. Jesus is saying to this woman, what, what he's saying to this woman is, do you want to know the truth about God? Do you want to know the truth about God? Look no further. I am he. God's ultimate revealing of himself came in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to worship him authentically and fully, You've got to look at Jesus. Regarding Jesus, the author of Colossians writes in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1 talks about Jesus being the express image of God in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. If you want to know the truth about God, you have to see Jesus because to see Jesus is to see the Father. And that's why we also have to read the scriptures with an emphasis on how all the scriptures actually point to Jesus and with an emphasis on the gospels that are the best sources for us to know what Jesus is like and therefore what, it's, what God is like. So if we want to worship God with our minds, we must do it through knowing the truth about him. That's what it means to worship God in truth. And we must respond to God's self-revelation of himself through nature, through the scriptures, and through Jesus Christ. Now here's the catch, and this is the tricky part. With our own intellect, with our own resources, with our own ability, we can't even come close to grasping the importance of God as he has revealed himself in creation, in scriptures, in the scriptures, and through Jesus Christ. We just can't. Most of it will just completely go over our heads. It'll, it'll be like trying to explain the internet to the ants, right? We just won't get it. And that's why there are a lot of people walking around who pick up the Bible and, and it just goes over their head. They don't get it. And that's why Jesus told the Samaritan woman that she not only needs to worship God in truth, but in spirit as well. That's our third point. In order to worship God with our minds, we must worship God in spirit. What does it mean to worship God in spirit? What do we mean by that? This is what I believe it means. It means to worship God via the Holy Spirit. If we are going to worship God in truth, we have got to have God's spirit living inside of us, making God's truth come alive. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates the pages of scripture for us. It's the Holy Spirit that allows the, the truth about God to come alive to us to, and then to be rooted in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that unveils the hidden wisdom of God so that we are able to grasp it. Left to our own devices, we, it's just, just going to miss us. Check out what the Apostle Paul said to the Christians living in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, verses uh, 6 through 16. He says this, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The thing As it is written... Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But, as it is written, oh, no, but 
God has revealed them to us through what? His Spirit. Now check this out. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That is just, it's just remarkable. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand God, and it also helps us to un- remember and understand all that Jesus taught. Jesus said this himself. He said this in John 16, verses 13 through 15. Right before he's about to be crucified, he tells his disciples, hey, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And the Holy, so the Holy Spirit not only allows us to understand facts about God, the truth about God, but what's awesome, and, and, and the Spirit is another major revelation of God, is that God's Spirit lives inside of us when we believe so that we can actually experience God. We can have experiential knowledge of God as a person. The Holy Spirit, it reveals the power of God to us. It reveals the presence of God to us. It reveals the reality of God to us. And what this experiential knowledge does, is it all adds up with the revelation, the other revelation, self-revelation of God to bring us to the point where we know him accurately and so we can worship him fully. Now, this leads us to another question, and it's our fourth and final point. How can the spirit come and live inside of us? Have, have you followed the train of thought here? We need to worship God with our minds, right? Well, we can't worship God with our minds unless he reveals himself to us. Well, he has through nature, the scriptures, and the son, Jesus. But we're not going to understand those things unless we have the spirit living inside of us that will help us to understand what that all means for us and the truth about God so we can worship him with our minds. Well, how do we get the spirit God's spirit comes to live inside of us through belief in Jesus. Look at what Jesus said to the woman at the well in verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you know if you were to fast forward just two chapters in your book, if you were to turn to John 7, Jesus is basically telling a crowd of people the exact same thing that he was telling to the Samaritan woman in John 4. Check this out. John 7, verses 37 through 39 says this. Jesus stood and and he cried out. He cried out. This is what he cried out. If anyone thirsts, 
let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now check this out. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing him would receive. For the Holy Spirit has not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was saying to the Samaritan woman, and he was saying to the crowd of people in John 7, he was crying out, come to me, believe in me, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you, and it will bring you deep soul satisfaction. You're going to have rivers of living water streaming in and out of your hearts. Out of your heart, the Spirit's going to bring you real, vibrant life now and forever. And here's another question. Why could Jesus offer this? Why could he say this and extend this offer to the woman at the well? And why could he extend this offer to the crowd in John 7? And why can he extend this offer to you in 2018 sitting in these chairs? Because he went to the cross where he bore your sin and absorbed the punishment into his body and was broken and he was mangled and he was mutilated so that you could be reconciled to God so that that God's spirit could find its home and take up residence in you so that you could have this living water flowing out through your heart. It's remarkable. And so that's what we're going to celebrate today and remember as we partake in communion. And so everything that we've covered this morning is saying this. The, the ability to worship is a gift. It is all a gift. It takes God to worship God. He has made it possible. He had to reveal himself. He had to send his son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him. He had to send his spirit to convict us of our need for Christ. He had to uh, send his spirit to come and dwell in those who believe so that they could know the truth about him and experience him in a personal way. And he made it. God is such a good God and such a loving God. He made it that when we worship him, we experience real satisfaction in life. What a good God. He wasn't required to do this. We haven't earned the right to know him. We need to see worship not as a duty, but a delight. You should be so thankful that you get to come here on Sunday mornings. If you're coming here out of duty... Out of drudgery, you haven't understood the gift. I want to ask you two questions to close. Are you worshiping God in spirit and truth? Have you said yes to Jesus and has that spirit come to live inside of you? That's worshiping God in spirit. Are you worshiping God in truth? Do you have a distorted image of God? 
Do you know the scriptures well enough? Do you know what the scriptures have to say about Jesus well enough that you have an accurate picture of who God is? Here's, that's kind of a lot of questions for really one question. Are you worshiping in spirit and truth? Here's the second question. Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Do you have peace and joy? If not, it could be that like the woman at the well, you are worshiping something that can't provide the living water that you're looking for. The woman at the well, she was trying to find deep soul satisfaction in men. She had been through, I think it was five marriages. Are you like the woman at the well, trying to find in something, in some created thing, what only Jesus can offer and truly give to you? For those of you this morning that have turned to Christ... In belief that he is the Lord and the Savior of the world and have said, Jesus, come in me, live inside of me by your spirit. Make me understand who you are so I can worship you fully, so I can love you supremely. And make living water just so quench my soul thirst and then spring out from me to everyone else who I come in contact with. If that's you, we invite you to partake in communion this morning. And we invite you to remember what Jesus did to make that all possible. Let's pray. God, Father, you are so amazing. And you have done everything that was needed so that we could come into your presence and worship you and therefore receive satisfaction, deep satisfaction that comes from the inside and is not based on external circumstances, that even in difficult moments we're able to experience a joy and a peace because we have living water inside of us that is not dependent upon what's going on externally. Lord, I pray that every person in this room has come to you in surrender, has come to you saying, you are Lord, I am not. And for those that have, Lord, I pray that this whole idea that we can worship you and that we can draw near to you and that we can have an intimate, personal relationship with you in which our deep soul thirst can be quenched. I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't become stale. I pray, Lord, that we would not forget what you've done to make that all possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray.